welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. To the few, the brave. It's not even, it's not even that brave. It's two inches is three inches of snow. We're Minnesotans. We're crying out loud. Um, so... How do I really feel about this? Well, I just feel bad because people are going to miss a great morning. So um, you guys, though, you're not going to miss it. Um, let me begin this morning with uh, today's the first Sunday of Lent. And uh, I want to begin with a call to worship from a psalm, the 40th chapter. Um, a psalm that you may be familiar with because you're a Bible lover or a pop music lover Uh, either way uh, the psalm still stands and I think it's actually a really appropriate and fitting way to start this morning so um, I'd invite you if you would if you're able to stand for the the hearing of the word and this call to worship the psalmist writes I waited patiently for the Lord he turned to me and heard my cry he lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and the mire He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord, put their trust in him. God, we come to you this morning with um, our hearts as open as we can offer them. Grateful to be together and pray that you would visit us this morning in a very real and special way, that your spirit would be sensed in our midst, and that we would hear the word of the Lord for us today. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. If you guys want to find your seats, find your Bibles, that'd be great. Actually, find your phones if you haven't taken the survey, just a second on that one. Um, First, if you're new to Awaken, we're really glad that you're here. Um, Good for you. Way to be brave, making it out on a snowy morning. Um, Spring is coming. Do not fear. Do not fret. Uh, But if you're new, we want to welcome you. Uh, We'd love to know that you were here. So uh, in the seat pockets in front of you, on the website, uh, there's a QR code in the back. There's a newcomer card that we would just be so grateful if you filled that out uh, to let us know that you were here. Someone from our um, welcome team will reach out to you, invite you out to a beverage of your choice. Um, Those cards, if you want to fill one of those out, and any tithes and offerings that you maybe have brought can go in the black boxes uh, at each of the exits as you you go. Each of those are gifts to us. We're grateful for them. Um, A couple of things in terms of our life together. This, starting this Wednesday, if you have not caught in this message, uh, we're having weekly Lenten gatherings, so on Wednesday nights, uh, we'll be here together in the building. Uh, we're going to walk, walk with St. Francis, the prayer of St. Francis, or I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Is that Francis or Patrick? Francis, Francis thank you. Lord, you know, same, uh, there's both saints, you know, they both wrote prayers. Um, <laughs> shows you, no, uh, we're going to walk with St. Francis during Lent um, on Wednesday nights. 
So uh, starting at 5.30, the building would be open, and if you uh, want to bring a, a meal, uh, grab a meal to go and eat together downstairs, that will be available, and then at 6.30, we'll be up here. Short, maybe 30, 40-minute um, gathering. It will include, um, well, some time with St. Francis, and it'll be lovely. Uh, there's an artist book study uh, happening. Uh, starts March 13th and goes, uh, excuse me, registered by the 13th, goes, starts on the 17th. Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin. Mel is leading that, so if you uh, are interested, consider yourself an artist or just want to read the book, uh, join those folks for that. Spiritual direction groups are, uh, there's an info session that Jane is leading. That is on March 20th from 7 to 8 p.m. So we have a bunch of new groups that are starting for spiritual direction groups. Um, if you want to find out more about those and what they are, you can join Jane for that. And then, uh, brief mention, there's still spots open for the Pacham um, Silent Retreat during Lent. So you can sign up for that online. Um, go up to Pacham with a group of folks from Awaken. And then last but not least, if you have not participated in the survey, friends, we would like to know, just get a sense of like where everyone is at in terms of masks and not masks and that. So if you haven't done the survey and you have your phone, you can just QR code that thing right there. We tested it. We're pretty sure it's going to work for you. So just take your little camera, get it on there, and press the, the, the image in the, in the phone on the screen there. That's a tricky one. People think you take a picture of it. You don't. A little website will pop up, a little hyperlink. You tap that, and then we'd love to know um, what your thoughts on masks. And, um, you know, as a community, we've just really tried to listen to you all, uh, listen to the CDC guidelines and that uh, as we've navigated this, but you all, uh, and to hear your thoughts. Um, so love to know what they are. So for the first, you know, five minutes of my sermon, you'll be elsewhere, and that'll be fine. <laughs> I've planned all the least important things at the beginning, including my 40th birthday, you guys. I'm 45 now. No, I, I know. I, it's not my birthday. It's not my birthday. That was a setup. That was a really, really poor, poorly, poorly told um, setup. Um, I am now 45, but I'd like to tell you about my 40th birthday, which is on February the 10th. When it happened, it was hands down the best birthday of my entire life. You know, when you turn 40, that's kind of a big deal in, for whatever reason, in our Western American culture. 40, you know, you're over the hill. Um, you're 40. Uh, I remember thinking my parents, you know, they were 40 and they were like, ancient when I was a kid. They were so old, and now I'm like, man, I got a lot of life left in me, I think. But when I turned 40, you know, it was a big deal, and Laura was kind of freaking out about it, and she wasn't really sure what to do, because, you know, I'm kind of like a party person. I love a, good, love a good show, love a good party, love a good time, and she's like, I don't know what to do. So one day, I, I just had this, I had a very clear sense of what I wanted to do for my 40th birthday party, and I said to Laura, you know what, babe, just don't even worry about it. I got it. I'll plan my own birthday party. And she's like, people don't do that. And I'm like, well, I'm about to. So you just, you just settle in, partner, and saddle up, because this one's going to be great. I invited like 100 of my closest friends uh, to a warehouse in Minneapolis, and um, there, was a, there was live music. There was uh, two bartenders. My good friends bartended for my party. We had a dance party, like a full-on dance party that my, my kids uh, were in charge of the, the playlist for that. We had a grilled cheese bar, you guys. We got all these fun breads and super cool cheeses, and people could come up to the bar and like pick and choose what they wanted, and then they got a tomato soup shot at the end. That's such a great idea. I didn't even come up with it, but when somebody said it, I was like, that is brilliant. So it was a fantastic night. People brought, uh, I said, just if you'd like to bring a gift, um, just stock my back bar. 
And so I, I had like really, really amazing gifts that I was enjoying for years to come. Um, so it was a fantastic night. And I tell you that story because uh, at 40, I really did get the sense that something was shifting in me. That there was a new season, that was like 2017, so if you remember back in the life of our church, we were just about to plant a new church. Um, things around here were kind of like, uh, uh, it was up and to the right, like there was a lot of momentum, and I, I, I sensed personally that there was um, a season of my leadership and pastoring that served me well for, for a time, but that there was a new invitation in front of me, that something was being birthed or born or um, formed in me as I crossed this threshold from 39 to 40, this new decade. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to would, would, would say that that's been true for them, that for whatever reason, 40 is an important number in our life. And it turns out that 40 is a very important number in the scriptures as well. Uh, uh, 146 times the number 40 is mentioned in the Bible. The mikvah, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, the Jewish ceremonial like washing uh, tub or uh, pool consists of 40 seah, or, which is like 200 gallons of water. So 40 of those, um, what's that? What's the word? I'm, that's such, um, you know, measurements were, were in, in a mikvah. 40, uh, the Sanhedrin required 40 lashes minus one for a punishment in scripture. Because 40 has this kind of life and death, and if you 40 is like dead, 39 is like they're still alive. Um, one of the prerequisites for a man to study the Kabbalah or Kabbalah, uh, which is Jewish mysticism, is that they be 40 years old. I didn't know that until I was studying this. Uh, the rain came down for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, you know, Moses went up, prepared himself to receive the law for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, when he was on Mount Sinai, he was up there for 40 days. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Elijah walked around in the, in the wilderness for 40 days. We could go on and on and on. There's just so many references to 40 in Scripture. Um, uh, Catholic father Wade Menezes, or Menezes writes this. He says, 40 means something as it brings to mind such qualities as repentance, newness, preparation, self-examination, transformation, task fulfillment, escape from bondage, from slavery, nourishment and growth, and ultimately new generation and new life. So this morning we begin a new series called 40, where we're going to take our Lenten journey and explore some important moments in Scripture where the number 40 comes up and just see what happens to be there for us. Uh, today we're going to start with Jesus in the, the wilderness, um, but by way of review, for those who didn't grow up in, uh, in a liturgical church or have followed the, the church calendar, Lent is the 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, and in the West we actually take out the six Sundays, and so it's a period of 40 days. Um, in the northern hemisphere, it's when the, the days are lengthening, spring is coming, something is around the corner, we're like, we're letting go of one season, the long, cold, still bitter winter, although today's a bad day to preach that sermon. And we're sort of welcoming this new uh, vibrancy of spring and new life. And for the church in this season, it's a, a season of preparation for readying our spirits, being intentional about our lives so that we can fully experience and live the paschal mystery, which is death and resurrection. At Awaken, uh, I, I mentioned this at Ash Wednesday if you were here, we as a collective sort of leadership team and um, the elders in our church and our staff, we sense that there's a new, uh, a new season ahead of us, kind of a new spirit. Um, 
we're coming out of two years of a pandemic. We're talking about, you know, like maybe seeing each other's faces for the first time, other than you all seeing my face on Sunday mornings. Um, there's, that's, that's a big deal, right? My kids, they, they just voted to take masks off in school. And, like, there's a whole bunch of kids who, who just are, they're, keep wearing their masks. And I was like, what is that? I would take that thing off so fast. And they're like, you know, you're, you can kind of hide. And you don't have to really show your full self. And I think that there's something to that, even for us as adults. As much as I don't like wearing masks, like, or have, ha, haven't liked wearing a mask, I have glasses and they fog up all the time, and you have to, when you straw taste things at a bar, it's, it's terribly inconvenient. But I think that there is even some comfort in not having to be fully present. And so what does that mean, right? That's in front of us. Um, I have my... This, this last week, the Board of Ordered Ministry officially recommended the removal of my credential in our denomination. Our church has officially been brought up on charges of being out of harmony by our conference, and now our executive board in the, in the covenant is checking into that. But even more than that, that's sort of downer news. There's something new there, but maybe a death coming of some way. But more than that, like there's all kinds of new people coming to Awaken. Uh, the Discover Awaken classes continue to be full Mandy's, the kids program's up and running. Praise the Lord, huh? <laughs> yeah, the kids program. Mandy's meeting new kids and families every week. Trevor's youth team's like just kicking butt and taking names. Uh, there, there's a, a spring, the spring offerings just came out, and so there's this excitement about the things that are happening. And there is a sense in which we feel that there is a, a wind of the spirit, like freshening, you know, that, and we're trying to set the sails to catch that. And I hope you sense that and hope that you feel that. And so today, as we begin Lent and this, this series called 40, we want to look at Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter. So I'll invite Jeremiah to read the scripture for us. And if you would, please stand for the hearing of God's word. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we gather as your church in this space and tune our hearts and minds and souls 
into this story, this text. Uh, I hope and I pray that you might visit us by your spirit, offer us a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of life, of light. Um, As we begin this journey of, of Lent, God, ready us, prepare our hearts for this mystery of death and resurrection. We pray in Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Um, First things first, there is so much going on in this passage. As like a person who studies the Bible for a living and um, genuinely likes it, uh, you you could study this passage of Scripture for like eight weeks and not run out of angles to take, uh, and every week would be different. Uh, There's this transition from John the Baptist to Jesus and all the Old Testament parallels of the prophets. There is the fact that Jesus is led, like led by the Spirit. This is not, you know, Satan calling the shots. This is, uh, the, you know, the tempter under the direction of the Spirit of God, which is a fascinating conversation about what does it mean to be tested? And when is it God and when is it just random um, free agents with moral capacity in the world, Right? inflicting things on us. There's, there's Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses uh, 2 to 6 which talk about like what is a test and this moment when Israel is told by, by God through Moses that the, a test is an invitation to know what's in your heart, to know what's already there. That's a part of this passage. There's the three passages that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapters 6 and 8, what's happening in those passages. Jesus is this sort of representative true Israel, right? If you imagine Israel as a people group who has a job and a task, Jesus is sort of retracing their steps, right? They come out of Egypt, out of the Exodus, through the Red Sea, which is known as the baptism of Moses, and are led into the wilderness where they are tested as the people of God. Jesus comes up from his baptism where he's anointed, confirmed, uh, um, set apart for this task to be this certain kind of person in the world. And immediately he's led into the wilderness and he's tested. So there's Jesus as true Israel. Um, I'm not going to go in any of these directions. Those are just interesting points that you could write whole sermons on in this text. What I want to do this morning is talk about the wilderness. And the wilderness is uh, a really important motif. It's an important idea in scripture. We've talked about it before. We did a whole Lenten series about the wilderness uh, maybe five years ago. And... um, I want to look at what Jesus learns in the wilderness. So we've got our series 40, and 40 as a moment, a season of preparation and of testing and of illumination and revelation where we learn things and we're prepared and things are formed and shaped in us like a gestational period. And then there's this Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. What does Jesus learn in the wilderness? So he's baptized, he's confirmed as God's son, who's God is pleased with, anointed, set apart, confirmed, and then led into the wilderness for 40 days. So first, what is the wilderness in scripture? And then we'll get to what I think we learned from Jesus here. So if you look in uh, your Bibles, if you turn back to Genesis chapter 16, you find a story. This is very early on, Genesis being the first book. Uh, Genesis 12, Abram is called uh, from his land to go to another land. We have this promise that he'd be given this, this, uh, this, this blessing of children who would bless the world. And they're struggling, right? Not, not able to have children. It's it's Abram and Sarai. And so in chapter 16, we find we're introduced to Sarai's maidservant, her slave. Her name is Hagar. She's an Egyptian. She's a foreigner. She's an immigrant. And uh, 
th- things aren't going well. Uh, Abram and Sarai take matters into their own hands, and uh, Sarai offers Hagar to Abram in order to uh, conceive of a child. We're not. This isn't happening. So let's try another route, right? So this happens, and and I, I'm talking about this as if this is normal. This is not normal. This is very odd, and ha- there's a lot of questions to be asked about this. But that's another sermon for another day. Hagar becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a son whose name is Ishmael. And then Sarah, whose idea it was, gets jealous, gets frustrated, and treats Hagar poorly. And Hagar flees. And we read in chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, that the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert wilderness. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She responds, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. Which question has she answered? Where have you come from? This is the first mention of the wilderness in the Bible. And when a word, an idea is mentioned first, it matters. And so what we find in scripture is that often, and I think you could use this as kind of a definition, but also when you think about our own spiritual lives, that the wilderness, a season of wilderness or of wandering, of testing, of, of something being formed in us, is often when we know where we've come from, but we don't know where we're going. Where we can name the path that's behind us, we can account for the things that have happened, whether they be good or bad or a struggle or triumph, but there's a, there's a moment where we, we recognize that we really don't know where it is we're going. We don't know what's in front of us. We, the path is not illuminated. The next steps are not as clear. And there's a sense of a, a lack of control where we don't really know what to do or where to go. That, in my experience, in the spiritual life, is a moment of an entry to a wilderness experience. Where we know where we've come from, but we may not exactly know what we're, where we're going. It becomes a place of testing and a place of preparation, a place of uh, revealing and illuminating, maybe not so much of what's next, but rather what lies within, which will be critical in order to step into what's next. So in the wilderness, things are revealed and illuminated, but maybe not always where we're going, but rather what's inside. And that, my friends, is what will be necessary, I have found, for what's next. So, what is the wilderness? It's a place where we know where we've come from, but we may not know where we're going, where there's a, a, a stopping, um, a pausing, a resting, maybe a bit of a wandering as we hear, wait, learn, um, listen for the next invitation. Wilderness is the womb for the next work of God. It's also an interesting word in Hebrew. So this word, first found in Genesis 16, is the word midbar. And that word means desert or wilderness. It comes from the root word, dibar or dibar, which means to speak or mouth or a noise. Um, it has the same letters as another Hebrew word, midibar, which means speaking. And so again and again and again and again in the story of scripture... When wilderness shows up, when someone finds themselves, is led to, invited into the wilderness, what happens is the voice of God is heard. Maybe it takes a while, maybe it takes 40 years, maybe it takes 40 days, maybe it takes a period of time. But inevitably, if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, 
God reveals God's self. Where was Moses when the burning bush happened? In the wilderness, after 40 years, right? 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and there, and then 40 years leading the people. So, the, where does Jesus go? He goes to the wilderness. He's led into the wilderness to a place of testing, of preparation, of revelation, where one is dependent on the Spirit of God, and where the voice of God is available, speaking. So, as one of your spiritual guides, I want to pause this morning and just say this to you. You do not need to fear the wilderness. People talk about, you know, St. John of the Cross, the, the dark night of the soul, which sounds terrifying. It sounds very ominous, and it can have that experience. But I want to rest assured, let you know, remind you that this is not a place we need to fear. It's not a place that we need to have anxiety about if we find ourselves there. It's actually a part of the journey. It's a part of the, 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 the maturation of our souls. And it's necessary. Nothing can be born without it being formed and gestated somewhere. So if God is going to invite you, if God's going to mature you, if God's going to grow you up, or you're going to move or change or transform, how do you think that's going to happen? If not, in a season of waiting, in a season of wilderness, in a season of forming and shaping. So I think sometimes lessons or things that I've heard from churches and Christians and pastors along the way is that when you are here and there's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers, somehow you're like, well, be careful, you might be backsliding. Well, I'll be careful, you might be... No, 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 and no. That's not true. It's not helpful. It's not pastoral. It's not kind. And it's not true. Like, the sages, the wisdom, the mystics of our tradition, of, of any tradition, will tell you that this is necessary. It's needed. It's so you don't have to fear it. It may be painful. I've never given birth to a child, but I've been told that's pretty painful. When you birth something into the world, there may be struggle. But you don't have to fear it. You were made for it. You can do it. What does Jesus learn? What do we see Jesus doing in his wilderness experience? I want to offer three uh, noticings from the temptations, the testings that Jesus uh, undergoes in his wilderness. The first is, uh, in the wilderness, I want to suggest there is always manna. Um, remember, I'm not, we're not doing this sermon, but just briefly, if I can, Jesus is retracing Israel's steps, right? Uh, the Israelites, they've come out of the Exodus, they go through the Red Sea, the baptism of Moses, they're led into the wilderness, and then they're tested. And um, chapter 14, they leave the Exodus, or they leave Egypt, they go through the Red Sea in chapter 14. Chapter 15 of Exodus is mostly Moses and Miriam singing a song of celebration after they've made it out. And then the last half of 15 is them getting water at Marah, which means bitter. So bitter waters turn into fresh springs, and then they camp near 12 springs and 70 date palms. Two very important numbers in scripture, of course that's where they camp. And then it takes only one chapter and two months for the people to be like oh my gosh it's so hot out here we're dying why have you brought us here they're yelling they're whining they're crying they're complaining they're moaning like a child to Moses because Moses has brought the whole assembly out there to die and we 
we make light of this, you know. They're like, oh my gosh, how you just went through the Red Sea, people. How? Right? But you do this. I do this. We do this. This is our story. It's not them. It's us. So they're whining. They're complaining. Chapter 16. And what happens next is so critical to the wilderness experience that you cannot forget it. Like, lock it up. Put it in the bank. Put it in the vault. Don't lose the key. What happens next is in the wilderness in a place of testing, a place of preparation for them to be God's people. That's the hope. That's the goal. That's the plan. Nothing. They haven't failed yet. They receive bread and Sabbath. Did you know the first celebration of Sabbath in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 16 in the middle of the wilderness? Sacred time, Heschel says, the cathedral of time known as Sabbath is given to the people in the wilderness. It's the first celebration of it. They don't know what's, where they're going to eat. They don't know how they're going to make it. They feel like they are going to die. And every day, manna appears on the ground. Every night, quail wander into the camp. Provision and rest. In the wilderness, there is always provision and rest. And even notice in the, in the story, right? Only gather enough for today. Only gather enough for today. Don't gather more than you need. Don't gather enough for tomorrow. Don't hoard it because you don't think there's going to be enough. Only gather enough for today for your needs right now to be provided for in this moment. Jesus is hungry in the wilderness after having been baptized and led by the Spirit. And the first test comes in verse 3. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And he responds from Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Israel, they're told to take not, not more than enough for one day, but immediately they grasp and hoard and like, they, they, like they're desperately afraid there will not be enough for tomorrow. Friends, in the wilderness... When you know where you've come from, but you don't know where you're going. In a season marked by 40, something being born and shaped in you, there is always provision and Sabbath. There is enough for today, and there will be enough for tomorrow. I'm hearing Sarah Grove's song. There's honey from the rock. There's enough for today, and there will be enough tomorrow. I am not speaking from theory on this one. This is not something I learned in a book. It's true. It's been lived in my life. When I have found myself here, there is always provision for today. And even, to, even on Friday, I, I'm on this call. I'm like pleading with these people. There is new wine. There is something, there's a, something happening over here where you don't think it can happen. And I'm telling you, there's life over here. And I'm desperately trying to convince you to see it. Like, you know, sorry, it's outside of our box. We recommend the removal of your ordination, Micah. Thanks for hanging out with us for the last 11 years, but not anymore. Even in this season, in my own wilderness, where I'm like, what the hell is going on right now? I have a lot of friends in ministry, lovely people, Christians, pastors. It's their job to, like, check up on me. You know, <laughs> that's what they've said they would do. But do you know where the man is coming from? The surprising provision it's from, from a, coming from a cocktail bar 
Emerald Lounge, this little group of people that I'm like, somehow got connected to, that I've been walking with over the last few months to open this beautiful little space over here, the manna is coming from them. The pagan drinkers. They're not pagans. It's, I'm using that for effect. They do like alcohol, though. <laughs> it's, it's this group of, this like ragtag group of people, you know, service folks, who are attending to me and saying like, Micah, we're proud of you. We're with you. Whatever we can do, like, I'm telling you, the folks, the, the awakened people who come and have come and like invaded last Sunday night, they're, they're like, their heads are exploding. And Molly said, Micah, I don't know what these people can't see because the community that, that you have at Awaken, it's beautiful. So the manna for me right now is coming from an unlikely source. And it's usually that way, where it sneaks up on you, it surprises you, and then you're like, oh my gosh, provision. There it is, in the wilderness. I'll only tell you one story because I could bore you with a lot of them, but it's lived experience, friends. That's wisdom, not from a book. That's testimony right there. Which leads us to Jesus' second temptation, where the wilderness is an invitation to take God at God's word. The tempter says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your head or your heel or anything against a stone. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Said differently, take God at God's word. I, I don't know about you, but I find that I and many others that I run across, we waste so much time questioning the things that we know are true about God when we find ourselves at this place. When we find ourselves on the precipice of the wilderness, where we're in a, in, a, in a season of wandering, we immediately, I, question things that I know to be true about God. And maybe, you know, for past experiences or people who were supposed to represent God, who didn't, someone you trusted, uh, or who let you down or hurt you or betrayed your trust, an institution that fails to act accordingly, uh, according, con, in, in congruence with who Jesus is, so we doubt the whole thing, right? A little more jadedness, a little more skepticism, a little bit more uh, cynicism. And we put God on notice. We make our suspicion known. We maybe even poke fun at things that used to give us life, you know, quiet times and reading our Bibles and prayer and singing worship songs. And I get it. Like, there's a place for suspicion. There's a place for questions. But I want to extend an invitation to you this morning as it relates to the wilderness and these kinds of 40 seasons in our life that maybe the wilderness is an invitation to let down some of your guard. To let maybe some of the hardened places become a little softer. And to remember. Remember. Take God at God's word. I don't know why, but for me, music is a catalyst. It's like a portal. Always has been. Some of my most significant moments in my spiritual life are connected to songs. And they're usually not like, you know, the Rolling Stones. It's like, you know, David Crowder or Hillsong or some other, you know, Christian worship band. 
And, you know, for there are valid criticisms for this genre of music. <laughs> and I find myself sometimes a little cynical, like, oh, gosh, this again? And I, I, I was getting ready for this meeting on Friday, and I just needed to go for a drive. So I, on Monday, I took a drive, and I turns out I had my waders and my fly rod with me. So I'm walking around in the woods, and I just sat on a bank. And it was one of those, like, perfect spring days, you know what I mean, when it's, like, 30 degrees out but not a breath of wind and bright, bright sun, so it feels like it's, like, 60. And there's, like, an eagle flying over me and trout all around. It's, it's like heaven. And I was listening to music, and I was like, well... Let's just go back to where I've come from. So I found one of my favorite albums. It's got the song Seasons on it. It's got a song called A Touch of Heaven, which is like this desperate prayer for God's spirit and voice to be heard again. And then there, there's this one song that I didn't, I forgot was on there, but it's called New Wine. And it's this idea that like, God, make me a vessel. Make me whatever you want to be. Like pour new wine into me and then pour me out. And I found myself just overwhelmed by God's presence. And I just took God at God's word. Is it possible that like you want to pour new wine into this community? And you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Both get ruined, right? So maybe there's a, there's a, a saying goodbye. Maybe there's a... a, a a death that needs to happen in order for, for me to go forward. And I found myself just, just, just attempting to take God at God's word. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, you know, music does that to people. It makes you emotional, and you can manipulate people's emotions, and then you can, like, do whatever you want to them. And you can believe that. And what you believe matters. And I believe that God is who God says God is. And is not dead, but alive. And that the resurrection of Jesus matters because death doesn't get the last word. Because God's making new things out of old and dead and broken things. This is the good news. And I'm choosing to believe that it's true for me. And I want to invite you, as you enter Lent, maybe a season of wilderness or wandering... To take God at God's word. Maybe put down the, the guard. Maybe ease off on the questions. Just for a season. So in the wilderness, Jesus finds himself there 40 days. A period of testing. To believe that there will be manna and Sabbath. Provision and rest. An invitation to take God at God's word. And finally, and this one's hard for me. In the wilderness, friends, there are no shortcuts. There are just no shortcuts. The tempter in his final offer presents a shortcut to power and authority, right? He says, listen, I'll give it all to you. I will give everything you see, all the kingdoms of the world. They will bow down to you if you will just bow down to me. Which does a couple things. One, it gets Jesus off a cross, right? He doesn't have to die. And Jesus responds, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
I love a good shortcut. If I'm on your team, we will find the most efficient way to get the job done. I'm telling you, if we have a map, we will find the most efficient way to get to it from point A to point B. There will be no wasted steps. I hate inefficiencies. They drive me bananas. And why would you want to do something if you didn't have to do it? When we wash the dishwasher every night, I'm like, do we really need to wash that part? Like, couldn't we get away with not washing that? I mean, that seems kind of insignificant. I don't think it matters that much, does it? Vinny won't know. <laughs> we just, I'm a terrible finished woodworker. You know, people say you got you to sand from 100 to 200 to 300 and 400, and then you got to water sand. And I'm just like, I think we could skip 200, just go 1 to 3, don't you? No one will know. You know, it matters, right? You can come up here and see I skipped from 100 to 200 on this thing, and I can see it every damn Sunday. <laughs> I love a good shortcut. I, I, so this one's real hard for me. The tempter offers Jesus a shortcut. Like, skip it, you know? You can have the authority. You can have the power. You can have the kingdoms if you just take the shortcut. And in the wilderness, there are no shortcuts. The journey is the curriculum. If you cut out parts of the journey, you miss it. You can't get it. It's only earned by putting one foot in front of the other and walking the path. This is why pilgrimage is so powerful. You slow down long enough. You go at a speed at which you can actually hear and listen and learn the things. There's no microwave. There's no Instapot out there. If you want, like, Moroccan chicken, you got it's an eight-hour process. It doesn't come in a bag or in a box. It's part of the reason why we need slow and deliberate guides in our community who maybe don't move as fast as they used to because some of us dum-dums keep hurrying them along at our peril. As we explore the meaning and depth and wisdom and truth of 40 in scripture, we find that the wilderness is, I want to say always, often a place accompanied by these wisdoms, these learnings, that there is always provision. An invitation to take God at God's word for just a second. And where we just can't skip steps. You remember that old song, like going on a bear hunt? Got, can't go around it, can't go under it, can't go over it. You just you got to go through it. And you don't have to be afraid of it. I know sometimes it's hard, it's depressing. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't think I have it in me. You're right, you don't. But there is provision. There's manna. There always is. I read this Facebook post of this guy this last week, um, a gay Christian, ironically enough, who is a was a worship leader, and he tells his story about how he worked in a church, and he was a worship leader, and he had this calling, and like things were going so well, and there was life and fruit, and he felt this invitation to like come out of the closet, you know, to be honest about himself, and was so afraid of losing all of these things that were so meaningful, and he tells the story of following Jesus out of the closet and at one point he says and that's exactly what happened I lost everything I lost my job I lost my community I lost the people that mattered to me I lost 
And then he said something that I just, I think is so appropriate that we sort of forget sometimes. It turns out that you really do have to lose your life to find it. It turns out that what the invitation all along is lose your life, or at least the one you think is life. And that is the mystery of Lent and of this season. That somehow death precedes life. It's just how it works. It's how the universe works, friends. Just watch the next eight weeks in your front yard. So, wherever you are this morning, if you find yourself in the midst of a wilderness experience, or maybe just Lent is an experience of that for you, uh, an intentionality around it, be encouraged. Know that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be anxious. It's part of the process. There's always provision. Maybe take God at God's word. Maybe go back to where you've come from. Practice some of the things that you used to practice. Maybe some of the things that you aren't sure about anymore. And for God's sakes, don't take the shortcut. Because it just will not pay out. It never does in this situation. So walk it. Walk it with your friends. Walk it with your spouse, your partner, your community. Let's do it together. We don't have to do it alone. Pray with me. God, this morning as we take just a moment to be still and listen, I ask that your spirit would visit us, that it would descend upon us like a dove, like rain falling down, like wind freshening, that we would hear your voice again for the first time anew. God, that we would be reminded of who you are and what's true about you, and we would take you at your word and walk this path of preparation and of testing, of, of nurturing, of making in us. So make us a vessel. Pour into us the fresh new wine of your spirit. And then use us as a church, as individuals, to bring life, love, light, hope, good news, gospel to the world that we find ourselves in, I pray. A moment of silence. As we close this morning, <clears throat> normally I would invite you to communion, Eucharist, and um, I was talking to somebody the other day about Lent and about fasting, you know, giving something up, and it m most of the time is an individual thing, you know, uh, among Protestant folks who do this, 
Um, and I think there's power in doing something together. You know, I think about Ramadan and a whole community of people who fast together and then break a fast together in the evening. Um, and the liturgists among us and um, may, may think I'm crazy, may think we're crazy for this, but um, we're going to fast from Eucharist during Lent. Uh, so there will not be bread and wine every Sunday for the next five weeks. And we'll break that fast together on Good Friday. And I hope, I want to invite you into this time of fasting together and to be intentional, to be thoughtful about it. Does that bother you? Do you, you wish that we were? Are you ambivalent to it? Does it matter? And just ask some questions about this experience and um, let's journey together in this way and then we'll break that fast on Good Friday. And if I know anything about fasting, it'll be all the sweeter when we do gather around that table again. So today... We'll invite you to sing, to um, respond as you wish. The prayer room's open. The art that we did on Ash Wednesday is still going to be available each week. So um, per permission to move about the cabin. And um, Mike's going to lead us in a few songs, and then we'll close. So let's do that. To the church gathered, called Awaken, my brothers and sisters, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace to you. See you Wednesday. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.